it's great to be continuing in our series called One Another. We've been really focusing in on one anothering well, doing a lot of different things, because this is something as Christians, as people who call ourselves followers of Jesus, that you and I are called to do well. We're called to love one another, to spur one another on, to encourage one another, not to speak against one another, to uh, forgive one another. And I've been really pleased to see and hear stories over the past month or so of the ways that you have been one anothering really well. It's been exciting, whether it's been through loving others by by praying for them or listening to them or cooking meals, getting practical and just helping out with whatever you can do. Um, I've been encouraged by hearing how others have been willing to encourage one another, whether it's just sending a text message during the week, showing someone else that you're thinking about them. Um, I've been encouraged by our young adults uh, who who really been speaking positively uh, for it to, towards each other and building each other up and not speaking negatively. Um, and when it comes to forgiveness, I know personally just the healing and the freedom that can come when when we actually forgive others. And uh, so I want, to be, I want to encourage us that, that we are one anothering well, that the fruit of this is being, being seen and, uh, and demonstrated. And I hope you've been loving this series as much as I have. We've only got two weeks left in this series. Um, and today what we're going to talk about is carrying each other's burdens, carrying one another's burdens. Uh, the other week I was at the shops, I was at Chermside, don't go to Chermside too often, um, I was there with my family, we had some lunch and then after lunch I had what many of you have and experience and that is that post-lunch sugar low. You start to feel a bit sleepy, right? And so I wanted a bit of a sugar kick just to get myself back up again, I try not to do it too often but we were out and about and I wanted to treat myself, we don't do it too often, so I was after a specific type of treat, it wasn't after a chocolate or an ice cream. I was after a bubble tea. Has anyone ever had a bubble tea before? Do people know what they are? Okay, a few people. This is good. Great. Good to hear. I'm not the only one who likes these things. Essentially, it's, it's tea that's brewed with milk and usually copious amounts of sugar thrown in there and you put some jellies in there. It's a very kind of Asian drink. That's, that's probably why I, I like it in particular. <laughs> Anyway, I found the bubble tea shop that I was going to visit. I lined up to take my order. And as I progressed forward in the order, I began to see the menu and realised this menu is quite overwhelming. There is so many options here. I just want a milk tea with some of those little pearl things and I will be a happy camper. So I got to the front of the line and the cashier um, asked me what would I like to order and I just said a milk tea with um, some of those little, little jellies. And he kind of looked at me strange, like, what are you saying? And he proceeded to ask me this long line of questions. He said, what type of tea would you like, sir? Would you like Thai, chai, or this or that or that? Would you like a small, a medium, a large, or an extra large? Uh, would you like that upgraded for 80 cents more? Would you like standard sugar, or would you like to reduce your sugar content? That is the thing nowadays. I just went for standard sugar, of course. Uh, would you like any syrups? Would you like pearls, jubes, or jellies? By the time you got to the end of this list, my post-sugar low, combined with that decision fatigue, made me almost fall asleep on the spot there. But thankfully, I got my order in, and I walked away sipping on this customised bubble tea of mine that I had, feeling very happy that I'd been able to endure that long list of things. But 
in drinking that tea, it just really reminded me of how much choice you and I have these days when it comes to little things and making them customizable and big things as well. You name a product and you can probably change that thing to suit your own needs. Personalized number plates, I'm sure there's a few of us who have them. Personalised engraving on your uh, iPad or your AirPods, tailor-made clothing, customised golf clubs to suit your grip style, customised furniture to suit the curve of your spine, personalised playlists for all of your digital content, menus at restaurants that are customisable down to the types of garnishes and sauces and cooking styles that are used to prepare your order. These are just some, just a fraction of the ways in Western society that we are able to customise products to suit our own tastes, our needs and our desires. And for us in the West, these kinds of changes have actually been a product, I think, of our shifting cultural landscape when it comes to individualism, when it comes to being individualistic. Because our culture, we celebrate being independent. We like being self-reliant people here in the West. We applaud people when they do things on their own without the help of others. And so we should do that. But uh, sometimes we go to the nth degree with that, you know, because we love the idea of being able to style our own lives and make these choices that impact both the macro and the minor or the micro decisions in our lives. We live in the century of self, self-obsession, self-promotion, self-love, self-talk, self-esteem, self-management, self-awareness, self-help. And studies are being done all of the time on the effects of our individualistic lifestyles on both ourselves and on others. But sometimes I think the glaring realities of our self-obsession and of our individualism are pretty clear to us. Um, We think about mental health problems. We're seeing that only on the rise. Same with loneliness. That is going up. The number of new communities is going down, the new groups that are being formed. Divisions within groups that stem from disagreements are on the rise. And the way that groups actually then oppose each other and interact with each other these days is only becoming more and more unhealthy in a number of ways. So I actually think it's fair for us to say as a society that we lead pretty individualistic lives. And this has all sorts of different effects on you and I. I want to invite you to grab out your Bible now, if you've got it with you, and we are going to explore Galatians chapter 6 this morning. We're looking at verses 1 to 5, and we're going to see what Paul, the writer of this letter to the church at Galatia, has to say about us living alongside each other. So let's read this together, Galatians 6, 1 to 5. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you will all, may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfil the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions." 
Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one should carry their own load. Other commentators who who speak about this particular passage argue that it's actually difficult to know the exact situation that was happening at the church in Galatia at the time for Paul to write these particular words. Um, They appear to be a little bit random when you look at them in the context of the whole of chapter 6, but it appears that Paul is trying to generally address some of the problems that were existing in the Galatian church, and they had been dealing with two Ds. They'd been dealing with disagreements and divisions. And so, they've been arguing about how it is that we should interact with each other. They were divided on issues that had to do with other Christians. And Paul writes these five verses to address the larger desire of of trying to help them with their disagreements and their divisions that were going on in the church. And the big ticket issue that we see here in this particular passage is that Christians are responsible to look after one another. Paul here, he starts in verse 1 with this problem. He, he talks about restoring a sinful believer. And it's interesting to note, in any of Paul's letters, when he writes and he really, really wants to grab the attention of the reader, he usually uses the, words brother, uses the word brothers or brothers and sisters. And so, by doing that, he actually also puts a claim on them. So, he says, brothers and sisters, and that claim is, I hope that I can assume that you actually want to live the way God wants you to live. That's what he's saying by saying brothers and sisters. Like, I hope that you want to live your life the way that God wants you to live your life. What I think we need to notice here about verse 1 in this passage is Paul actually is not focusing on whether or not the restoration of a sinful believer should be done. He's not worried about whether it should be done. He assumes that is what should happen. What he's actually focusing on here is the how it should be done, and his emphasis is on doing this gently. He says, you who are spiritual, that is, you who live by the Spirit, you who do not live by the flesh, you should restore that person who is caught, who is caught in sin with gentleness. So this is how we should go about restoring. And that principle that binds us all together is the thing that we spoke about about at the start of our series, and that is love, that we should be loving one another. In the previous chapter in Galatians 5, Paul has just uh, rung off the list of the fruits of the Spirit, and one of those, as we know, is indeed gentleness. But what is he talking about here when he talks about this word restoring? What does this restoring mean in the context? What's he trying to tell the Galatians to do? Well, the restorer here has got multiple different roles. Their job is to actually point out problems, to point out sin that exists, and to do this gently to consider how you're going to approach the topic, to carefully think through what you're going to say and approach that conversation with gentleness and love. And then point out that wrongdoing, but the restorer's job does not end there. It's not just about pointing that that wrongdoing out. Paul says it's the responsibility of the restorer to also carry the burden to help that person to come, become free of the thing, the very thing, the sin that is holding them back, that thing that is enslaving or entangling them 
and stopping them from living in the fullness of life that Jesus has come to give each one of us. And there's a really strong theme that is being addressed here throughout this letter to the Galatians, and that is the theme of being mutually accountable. And here we see if we're going to love each other well, if we're going to live by the Spirit and not by the flesh, then we need to recognise our responsibility, and that is that we are mutually accountable to each other. Um, I have been married to my wife, Cherie, for 19 years this year. That's pretty good, right? Yeah, that's pretty good. Oh, thank you. I'll take, I'll take the applause. The, th- the scarier thing to think about is next year we'll have been two decades together. I don't like that thought. Well, I do like that thought. It's a good thing. <laughs> Sorry, Cherie. Early on in those, in those uh, 19 years, um, before we actually had children, there was actually a time in my own life where I struggled with an addiction. And I struggled with an addiction to gaming, computer games, and, and playing video games. I lived and breathed computer games. Um, all of my friends that I associated with at the time as well, they really loved games also. And so, you know, I'd hang out with them, and what would we do? We would play games. So it was the best of both worlds, a win-win for me. Um, in my head, I kind of lived in the worlds that these games presented through the screens that I was watching. That was kind of part of my reality, was what was happening in these games. And over time, the gaming and my absorption and addiction into this actually really affected my marriage. It became clearer and clearer that I was actually neglecting my marriage. It became clearer and clearer uh, that Cherie, my wife, she actually wasn't a very happy camper. And it was clear for others to see this. They could see that there was something going on here in our relationship. But I actually struggled to see what was going on. I didn't think it was that big of a deal because here I was caught in the middle of this addiction. And one day I received a call from a friend from church and he wanted to catch up with me. And I said, yeah, that'd be great. Let's, let's catch up. So we scheduled a time. <clears throat> we sat down together, spoke about the usual things that we'd speak about. Uh, but it wasn't long before my friend turned our conversation to the issue of gaming. And before he actually got to the hard truth and the impact that that addiction was having on both myself individually, but also, and particularly, on my marriage, um, he took the time to tell me that he cared about me. He took the time to tell me that he cared about my marriage, my relationship. He took the time to say to me, you know, I, I love you, essentially, as a brother in Christ. And then he addressed this glaring truth in my life that I actually couldn't see myself. And he told me, you know what, Dave, your gaming is affecting your marriage so much that you are almost at the point of it breaking. Now, those are big words for me to hear at the time. He actually told me, you know what, Dave, you've got a choice. It's either gaming or it's your marriage. That's what it is going to come to. Um, So the reality of this, as he was saying, it was starting to sink in. But at the same time, when he told me this, I had this pride in my heart. It's like, you know, you don't know everything that goes on in my life. Surely it's not that bad. Surely, you know, you, you you can't see those things. So I put up these barriers at first. But I also just allowed that door to be a little bit open to receive what my friend said because I respected him greatly. 
And clearly, I realised over time that if my friend was able to see into my life that gaming was impacting my relationship this much, I recognised and came to that realisation, this is enough proof, something is wrong and something has to change. And you know what? I came away from that situation so thankful to my friend for having actually taken the time to address that hard, uncomfortable truth in my life that was affecting me at the time. Now, my friend easily could have thought, you know what, this is not my place to speak. You know, I'm not going to speak into, this is their marriage, they've got to sort that out themselves, this is not my issue. He could have thought, what experience do I have? I'm not a counsellor, I'm not a professional here, I don't know the words to say or the teachings to give. But he didn't do that. He cared enough about me to point out the reality that was right in front of me that I couldn't see. And on top of that, He actually then kept me accountable through the process. So he checked in with me regularly over time to see how I was going with this. And you know what, I'm so thankful for that love and support that I received from my friend in that moment, because if I hadn't, my marriage may not have continued at the time. And the reality is, by helping me, my my friend helping me through this situation, I can say that I was able to be freed from it. And that's a really, really big thing. I was able to take the better path because of, partially because of the care I received from my friend. Being mutually accountable to each other is a hard thing because we live in this culture that celebrates individualism. It's an uphill battle for you and I. We often say the types of things like, you live your life, I'll live mine. You do yours, you do you, I'll do me, that kind of thing. You know, what right do you have to point out the imperfection in my life when you've got your own stuff? Uh, Tend to your own garden or stay in your own lane and I'll stay in my lane and I'll tend to my own garden. These are the types of things that we can think about. I'm sure you can think about other things as well. But the point is that if we call ourselves brothers and sisters together in Christ, then you and I are mutually accountable to each other. And this means we have a responsibility to care for each other, to carry each other along the way of life, to wrestle with through the messiness of life together and to also celebrate the goodness of life together. And I want to say that this is not the responsibility of a few people. You don't need to have reached a certain level of faith to be able to do this. Rather, I actually think this is something that we need to focus on more as Christians, that we need to step away from individualism and what our society shows us and step more into mutual accountability and discipleship and discipling each other well. And the reality is, as I said, it's not going to be clean cut and tidy. Life is messy. It is complex. We don't individually have all of the answers. And so we need to step up our responsibilities here. And when I say this, I just want to be clear, I'm saying it very loudly to myself first here, that we need to step up that responsibility. Because I truly believe that if we are not careful, then we can end up being those people, those individuals who get further and further away from others, instead of getting closer and closer to them. 
Now, I want to be realistic about this. There is no way, no conceivable way that you can have a deep, connected, harmonious relationship with every single person that you meet in your lifetime. That is not possible. And that's not what we're seeking for here. But that doesn't excuse our mutual accountability that Paul is writing about here. So that problem for us is individualism. For the Galatians, it was pride. It's also, pride's also a big part of our problem, I think, that ties into individualism really well. And, in, and Paul says in verse 3, if anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. So the Galatians here, they'd fallen into this trap of being prideful. They were actually too proud to admit their shortcomings and they weren't willing to to actually say that they were wrong, at least not to other believers. And I actually looked at the the NLT version of verse 3 and I think it's a real eye-opener when it comes to our individualism. Here's what it says. It says, if you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. Big words. This temptation that we have to think that we are important, to have the individualistic life, it can affect our willingness to help others because of the way that we make plans in our lives. We lead busy lives and so as a result we make plans and this is a really good thing. Planning is important. Planning is good. Planning helps us with life. I'm not saying we should not plan. That is something we should do. But sometimes when those plans that we have get interrupted, our default way of thinking can be that, okay, my plans have been interrupted, therefore something must actually be wrong with this situation. The reality is, we know in life, our plans are going to get interrupted. Things aren't going to go to plan all of the time. We know that as well. But sometimes our plans being interrupted is not actually a bad thing. Here's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says in his classic book that he wrote entitled Life Together. And he explored in this book what Christian community or what he thought Christian community uh, could look like and should look like. And here is what he says about interruptions, that we must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. God will be constantly crossing our paths and cancelling our plans by sending us people with claims and petitions. We're mutually responsible people. We're mutually accountable people as Christians. Now, if you feel comfortable, I want you to turn to the person next to you right now and tell them, I'm accountable to you. Go for that. I'm accountable to you. That's good. Good to hear that. I'm accountable to you. You see, when we are mutually accountable to each other, when we, are, when we are doing this kind of interaction, we're actually forced to abandon our sense of being alone. We are forced to reach out to others, in a good way, when I use that word forced. Um, we are accountable to each other. We're, when we're accountable, we're concerned with how others are going. We take an active interest in their lives. Because the reality is, we're not solitary individuals. We don't live alone on our own islands. We need others in our lives. We need community. To be human is to actually relate 
to God. To be human is to relate to other people. And this, I think, is instinctive within us. Even if we feel in that place where we just want to get away from people and everything and just be on our own, instinctively embedded in the fabric of our being is this reality that we need community and we are called into relationship. But here's the other thing that we need to keep in mind as we're going through this passage, and that is that as a Christian, you're also personally responsible for your own actions. So this is not about the other side of the coin. It's not an either-or or a this or that thing. It's not about us trying to balance us being mutually accountable to each other with being personally responsible for our own actions. Being personally responsible for yourself is actually a part of being mutually accountable to other people. We know that the Bible teaches that each of us individually will have to answer to God one day. Romans 2 verse 6, God will judge everyone according to what they have done. Romans 14 12, each of us will give a personal account to God. Verse 4 and 5 in our passage, each person, each individual, should test their own actions. That is, they should pay attention to our own stuff, the work that we are doing. And then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one should carry their own load. You know, part of our individual responsibility for our own actions is the responsibility of carrying others' burdens. That is part of it. And we also need to remember here from this passage that we shouldn't be making comparisons. We shouldn't be comparing ourselves to each other. Because if we do this, we are always going to find someone who has done more or someone who has done something that seems more exceptional or has had more of an impact in the lives of other people. So we have to stop comparing ourselves and we also have to stop doubting ourselves and what our God has done in us and through us. You know, if we believe that we have the Holy Spirit dwelling and living within us, which we do as believers, then He is the one who is at work. And some of us here today need to hear that fear and doubt and those thoughts that we have, they do not have control over us when it comes to our interactions with others. It's because of the power of Christ at work within us that we are able to do this. A couple of other thoughts on personal responsibility. Uh, being responsible for yourself means that we need to own our own actions and we need to bear our own burdens. But this does not mean that we reject support from others. This does not mean that we don't, uh, we deny people um, when they reach out a hand to offer help or assistance. For some of us, just that thought of actually being the ones who ask for help is actually a scary thought. You know, how will I look? I, what will they think of me? Um, for other people, it's our pride that maybe gets in the way. I don't want to receive help from you because, you know what, I can do this myself. I'm okay. Don't get involved. And there's those words that we often say that tie into this passage really well. And those words are, I don't want to burden you. 
So we bear our own burdens, but we've got to be open to listening to each other. We've got to be open to allowing people to speak into our lives just as you would want them to be open to hearing you speak into your own life with loving correction, or you speak into their lives rather with loving collection. Another thought here on personal responsibility. If we use our time, if we use our energy and all the resources that we have to help others, but in the process, if we neglect our family, if we drop the ball with our responsibilities and the people who are relying on us, then we need to have a long, hard think about our own personal actions and what is happening. I'm not saying that there is an easy fix scenario, that these are things that are easy to solve, but this is, these are things and questions that we need to be thinking about. And the final thought I have here is that we actually need to be careful when it comes to making excuses about personal responsibility. Um, in our culture, we are very, very aware of our ori- the origins and the causes of our behaviour. For example, um, I have certain personality traits that have been passed down to me from my mother and father. They're both good and bad things, and I, in turn, have been uh, passing those good and bad traits down to my own children. And most of us as adults, we are pretty aware of some of these things from our past that have affected us throughout our lives. But what we can do is we can be prone to use these as excuses to justify our behaviour. And that's not good when we say things like, oh, look, I just can't help it. I've just been, that's the way I've always done things. I've always done it that way. Or that's how I was raised. I'm just sorry about that. That's just the way it is. And sure, we need to sympathise with others. But the reality here is that the Bible teaches you and I that we are personally responsible for everything we do and for everything we are, regardless of the causes and the problems that we have. And so this leads me to the point of urging us as Christians to let this reality sink down into our hearts and into our minds, that you and I, we need to accept responsibility for everything we do and for everything that we are. We need to own those things in our lives. Now, before we finish up this morning, I want to offer a few practical things for you to consider, because this is a big call for us, to to seek to live for Jesus and to carry each other's burdens is a big thing, but we are able to do this, because the reality is a follower of Jesus cannot be individualistic, a follower of Jesus cannot be self-obsessed. That doesn't mean we can't enjoy things that are individual in nature, we absolutely can, but our lives must not and cannot be defined by individualism. And so here's a few little practical applications that you might want to consider when it comes to both carrying one another's burdens and as well as that being personally responsible for your own self and your own actions as you live out your life. Number one, look outwards. We absolutely need to think through our own lives and plan and and work out how we're going to live them and what we do as individuals, but when it comes to our focus, I think the more that we can look outside of ourselves first, the more that we can recognise what's going on outside of us, can then help us to internally look at ourselves and work out from there. Number two, take ownership. 
To be accountable to others means we need to own it. If we are serious about what Paul is writing here in these verses, in in God's Word, about carrying each other's burdens, then there should be this growing sense of ownership and we should recognise there's this calling over our lives to be people who care enough to invest deeply enough in the lives of each other out of the love that God has given us. And so if you're a Christian, then these words apply to you. It's not just words for pastors or for professional counsellors or for people who have experience in caring for other people. This is, just as we're responsible for ourselves, we are also accountable to others. Number three, pray. And pray for wisdom as a mutually accountable person. It goes without saying, this is something that we should be doing throughout our lives as believers. We should be seeking God for wisdom, how we can live both personally responsible lives and mutually accountable lives. And part of that praying is actually listening to God, allowing Him to speak to us, allowing Him to lead us and guide us into the spaces and the places and the interactions with others as He would have us to be led. Point four, speak the truth in love and do it gently. And also, don't overthink it. Um, if you recognise the issue in, an issue in the life of someone that is a concern, that it's clearly making, having some sort of impact, there's a sin or there's something that's happening that is affecting life and relationship of, of someone else. Before you say anything, pause Think about what you're going to say, think about how you're going to say it and say it gently as Paul is reminding us here. And also remind the person that you are mutually accountable, that this goes both ways. But don't overthink it because I think sometimes in life we can overthink conversations with people, we can preempt conversations in our head, so much so that we get to the point that it just paralyzes us and we think, well, it's just too messy up here in my head, so I'm not going to do anything about it on the ground, actually, in person. So part of that overthinking it can also be thinking about ourselves and how we look and present to other people and us getting worried about that. But I really hope that what Paul says in verse 3 here is really clear to us that we shouldn't think too much about ourselves and that we are not that important and yet we are important and very important in God's eyes. Number five, uh, stop comparing. Very important one. Comparison is just not healthy. Many of us know this. Recognise situations that are unique to you Seek advice from others, absolutely, if you need to, do that, but don't compare your effort or your situation to others because there are unique factors and circumstances that relate only to your situation. And number six I've got here is know your limitations and set realistic boundaries. This is more for your individual responsibility alongside of others. Recognise what you're able to do and what is actually outside of your scope. Seek professional assistance where necessary, but also recognise that you don't need to be a professional to be able to help others. And set boundaries when it comes to things like your time, your energy, your money. And I, can I add that part of actually doing this well is recognising that we want any kind of involvement when we're carrying each other's burdens to be both realistic and achievable. 
So we can't be operating at 100% and drop everything all the time. Sometimes situations will require us to drop everything and attend and help for others, but we cannot be doing that for 100% and redlining all the time. That is just not sustainable and not healthy for anyone involved. Uh, musicians, if you'd like to come forward, we're going to close shortly. And, and in closing, I just really want to remind us this morning that We've been talking about one anothering, and we started our series, like I said, on loving one another. And that love that you and I have, that is the love that's given to us by our great God, by His Spirit that is living within us. And because of that love that we've been given, we have been given this responsibility to carry one another's burdens as a part of our lives as Christ followers. And we are called to do this when the burdens of those around us become too difficult for that person to carry. And so we need to be open and thinking and aware of the lives of others around us. We need to push back against that individualism, that wanting to go into our own bubbles. And we need to look outwards to others. And I see the way that that happens so well here. And and I just want to encourage you that we would continue to carry each other's burdens well. We continue to have the boldness to reach out and step out in faith and speak the truth in love and do it gently, that we would be able to help each other to become free of those things that entangle us and that stop us from living in the fullness of life with Jesus. Because at the end of the day, I don't know about you, but that is what I want. I want to live in the fullness of a life that is with Jesus that has received healing and freedom from everything that holds us back. And I'm getting emotional because I know, the, and I can see the impact that it's had on my own life, and I know that that is the case, that we can receive that freedom. We can do it. And so we need to help each other as well along the way, and I know that we can do this well. And we only do this through the love that comes from God. We cannot do this in our own strength, brothers and sisters. So would we be people who love one another deeply? Would we be people who in the world are known by our love for each other? We love because He first loved us, amen? And so we can do this well because of that love that we've received. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we we thank you for these words. We thank you for the way that you do challenge us in Scripture. These issues that the people in Galatia, Galatia were dealing with are issues that we deal with today because we are human. But Lord, we thank you for relationship. We thank you that you've called us into a relationship and into a family, your great family, that we are co-heirs with you. And that means we belong as a part of your kingdom and as a part of your great family. And so, Lord, as brothers and sisters, we want to care for each other well. We want to be able to carry each other's burdens and do it well. And so, God, I ask that you would help us, that you would lead us, that you would guide us in this pursuit, God, 
that we would not feel a sense of burden in having to carry another's burden, but Lord, that we would have a sense of your great love that is just flowing out, overflowing through us as a result of us being able to do this. And God, I pray for those of us who don't really, uh, maybe you're thinking, I don't even know how I would start a conversation. I can see this person and there's this thing that's happening right now and it is not a constructive thing. It's actually destructive. But I don't know where to start with addressing that. Lord Jesus, I just pray right now that you would be helping. You would come in and guide us. You would give us the peace and the confidence and the wisdom and the discernment to be able to know how it is we can speak. Oh, and Lord, help us to do it gently and with your great love always in mind, Lord. We would, we would seek to live and build each other up in that unity that comes from you. And so, God, we pray these things looking to you, we want to thank you for the healing and the restoration that comes when we do bring our sin before you. We've spoken about that last week, about forgiveness and what that can mean for us. And Lord, will we be people who continue to receive your healing and your great love and your grace and your mercy over our lives, that we would be free and living in the fullness of life that you've called us to. And we pray these things in the name of the King of Kings, in the name of the, the greatest person to ever walk on this earth, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.